So good morning, good morning. I appreciate the kind words you say, Mike, um, and everyone, the encouragement given to me. One thing I love about this church is that it has a teaching team, that individuals can come up here weekly to bring the word of God that he has laid on their hearts. One of the goals of this church is to equip people to not only grow and know the word of God, but also by sharing, um, by being able to share it, by providing tools and opportunities to do so. So I am so honored that um, I am up here to share what God has put on my heart. All right, like Mike said, we're wrapping up this series on scars. And to be honest, after the first two weeks, I'm thinking that there is really not a lot more to say about scars. Um, Chris and Heidi both covered it very well, and they both have had different perspectives. I thought it might be a good weekend to take a sailor, and with the rain yesterday, it might have been. But um, actually, what I had to say really is no comparison to what we just sang in worship. So, but I still will will say this because I believe God has called me to do that. So let me just open in a quick prayer. Father God, we just thank you for everyone here. Please let my voice carry the precise words and message you have for each person here. Let the words I say draw the attention straight to you. Okay, scars. I have said that word several times already, and When you hear the word scars, just like me, do you get this kind of negative thought about it, negative image? If I asked some of you to um, maybe stand up and share a scar story, I bet each of us could give at least one. Some of us might have scar stories that we're really not so proud of because it really shows us the consequence of maybe a stupid decision. But our initial reaction to the word scar is probably not, it's probably negative. It's probably not nice. Um, We see scars as a reminder or evidence of a trial. Now, the last couple weeks, we've looked at John 16.33, and it says, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, But take heart, because I have overcome the world. So we tend to see scars as the trial, when it's really the overcome. Open wounds are our trial, and the scar is evidence that the wound has been overcome. Our perspective of a scar is really discombobulated. We don't seem to see the beauty because of the ashes. We just sang, when I see the cross, I see freedom, and when I see the grave, I see Jesus. For those of us who believe Jesus died on the cross, sorry, and rose from the grave, we are able to visualize symbols of overcome. But symbols like the cross and the grave really do mean torture and death. We were just reminded with Phil um, singing the old rugged cross that the cross is an emblem of suffering and shame. Just a side note, 
I could have probably written this whole message using lyrics of the song, but that's just, anyway. So <clears throat> back to the cross. We see it as a, a, an emblem of suffering and shame, but we take that image and we bling it out. We decorate our walls with a cross. We wear it as an adornment around our neck. Some of us have permanently inked it onto our skin, not because we see the bloody Jesus on a cross, but we see the outcome, the overcome. We see the cross as a place where our sins were nailed and forgiveness was given. He, we see him as overcome. When will we be able to have that perspective when we see scars? Not that you would want to wear jewelry in the shape of a scar or anything like that, but we need to change our perspective. So I've got a little story that might convince you that a scar can be beautiful. I would like to put some skin on it for you, (laughs) pun intended. And because Heidi got to speak last week on guts, I want to speak on blood this week. So um, the anatomy and physiology of a scar, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. I think we have a picture. This is a picture of um, a, a section of skin, okay? And you have to bear with me. I love talking about this stuff. I am always in awe of how, what are the makeup of our bodies are, is. David says in Psalm 139, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. This is wonderful. Our skin is made of three layers. The epidermis, dermis, hypodermis, or I would call it subcutaneous. Um, But when you look at this simple picture, honestly, from a distance, it kind of looks like a piece of cake. But it's not that simple. This very simple image really shows how complex the skin is. So I don't have to tell you, our skin has an extremely sophisticated response system. Even David in the Old Testament knows this when he used the phrases like intricately woven and knitted together. Not all wounds produce scars. Scars typically form when all three layers of the skin have been disrupted, injured, a deep cut. And that deep wound progresses through four stages to become a scar. And we kind of name that wound healing or scar formation. And there's a picture there of just the way the stages progress. So there's an injury to the skin. Now, when we remember John 16:33, I really want you to see the word trial as synonymous with wound, Okay. So we get a cut, and immediately, stages of wound healing or scar formation start. The first stage is hemostasis. This is where several vessels from the cut cause the blood to rush into the area and fill the gap of the um, severed skin. The blood is so amazing. Its first responders to the site are proteins or platelets, which start producing a clot or coagulation like a shield that proceeds an armor, or proceeds the weapon, the clot dries and a scab starts to form. While this happens, the second stage, inflammation, rushes right in. 
I kind of look at this as um, the warriors. With that increase of blood flow from the, there's a flow from the white blood cells that um, come in with guns blazing. Their job is to consume bacteria, remove damaged tissue while the scab is being formed, and at this stage, the wound is still very fresh and vulnerable. But the third stage comes along, and that's proliferation. And I absolutely love this stage because the, the root word of this is life. <clears throat> Here, fibropla- fibroblast cells produce collagen. It's forming a new fibrous ma- matrix, like a wall. So let me step back a second. Before a cut happens, this normal skin, um, we have this extracellular matrix And it's a weaving together of cells and nutrients doing their job. Now, remember the intricately woven and knitted together that I mentioned before? That so fits there. But this woven pattern enables hair follicles to grow. It it enables melanin to produce pigment and things like that. Um, So let's, let's get back to the wound. When that intricate weaving, and I think of it like this, like a basket weave, When it is disrupted, the collagen's job is to start forming a new matrix. It starts forming a new wall. However, instead of the intricate weave pattern that we had, it now forms into a more tight and aligned in a single direction formation, maybe like a block wall. Okay, It is new tissue, but it is different from the original. Finally, excuse me, the last stage of the scar tissue formation is remodeling or maturation. Over time, this buildup of collagen is complete and the scab is replaced with a dense scar tissue. And because of that new aligned formation, most of the time, hair follicles do not grow. Um, There's usually a a lack of pigmentation and typically it's smooth to the touch. But the Flesh is no longer raw, there's no inflammation, and usually there's no pain. Thus, healing has occurred and a scar is formed. We can name that overcome. So I was encouraged to share a physical scar example with you that will show um, that a trial came about. Um, The stages of wound healing occurred and the outcome is overcome. My mom's here, and I didn't think I would cry, but every time she tells this story, I get weepy. So bear with me, please. (laughs) I was born with an anomaly in my renal system. I was born with double ureters. A ureter is the tube that connects the kidney to the bladder, or the function of the kidney to the bladder. I was a very sick little baby because those extra ureters were non-functional. When I was finally diagnosed with the issue, I, was able to, I wasn't able to wait until the um, suggested age that surgery would have the best outcome. That was according to professionals. Therefore, at 13 months of age, the anomaly was surgically corrected. So imagine, up until this point, I was not very healthy. Um, thankfully, with much success, success, it was corrected. However, when the incision healed, 
It left a visible scar on my little body from hip bone to hip bone. And also, two smaller incisions were made to hold drain tubes, one above and one below that horizontal scar. Now, let me remind you that that was my little baby body. Okay, and we have a slide of what this scar looks like. Unfortunately, this scar has grown with me. I know my husband likes math, but I am not thinking a walking division sign (laughs) is very attractive. I have felt ashamed of that permanent raise mark because I would still look at it as a reminder of that non-functioning anomaly that made me sick or the significant cut that left the, 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 the mark. I did see, I didn't see the scar as evidence of healing. I saw it as an emblem of a flaw, not life. Yes, I survived, thank you, Um, but the doctor warned my parents that it would be unlikely for me to have children. And I now can see my scar as evidence of God's healing for my life And that God had a different plan and gave me the opportunity to give birth to five world changers. So when I see that scar, I now see a handful of overcome, which, just a side note, really should be a multiplication sign and not a division sign. (laughs) But God knows best. Okay. It's easy to actually see a physical scar and to know that healing has taken place. No inflammation, no redness, but a dense tissue that's most likely lighter in color, smooth to touch, and no pain. But what about those scars that are past deep hurts that we call scars? Can you identify with me? Does this get your attention? Can you think of maybe something that you could be um, considering a scar? We probably have all been wounded emotionally. I believe that emotional hurts must progress through the stages of scar formation, just like physical hurts. So you probably know where I'm going with this. We might admit that we are scarred emotionally, but is it really, isn't it really a deep wound? We grow accustomed to pain, or we cover up infection that might have set in. Or even worse, we become numb, maybe even ignore, making the wound seem like a scar. The A&P that that I showed you can illustrate the progression of healing into a scar, but what about emotional wounds? How can we see an emotional wound healing. <clears throat> so let's just turn to scripture. I want to look at portions of John 4, not quite known for being a scar story, but um, I'm going to start at verse 3 and read this to you. Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. 
Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is it that is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would not have, or excuse me, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor have to come here to drink the wa- or draw water. <clears throat> Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Further into the conversation, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He, will, he who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Going on to first, verse 28. <clears throat> so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, saying, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that it is indeed the Savior of the world. So just to recap and to put a scar on this for you, Jesus left Judea and was traveling to Galilee, and I find it quite interesting that the verse says he had to pass through Samaria. We know Jesus didn't have to do anything, but, and I don't have a map to show you that going through Samaria wasn't the only way to get to Galilee from Judea. However, a divine meeting was about to take place in the town of Samaria. Jesus is tired from traveling. He sits at the well while his disciples go in to get food. This was the time of day when the well was pretty desolate, a time in which a social outcast would be okay to draw water from the well without having to face anyone, without having to be harassed or humiliated. But when she approaches the well, Jesus is there, only Jesus That was probably not too intimidating for a woman, just one man. Jesus asked her for a drink. I can imagine the question was relatively kind compared to what she might expect to hear from others. Jesus and this woman get into a discussion about water, living water. 
And she had to be so elated because this kind man just gave her positive attention and offered her a living water, a way that would provide a way to avoid having to go to that well to draw water. I get her excitement because I would love to never go to the grocery store again. And the groceries, just to have the groceries I need when I, get, when I need them. But I digress a little bit. So she tells Jesus she wants the water. Jesus compassionately exposed her wound by telling her to go and to get her husband. She told him the truth. Not quite all of it. But this is where she could have taken her own wound management. And I can see Jesus being the non-judgmental man he was, finishing her statement, helping her speak that out. He knew he would, it would probably hurt her just like a scab being ripped off an unhealed wound. But I'm sure his words were like a gentle touch removing an old band-aid, exposing a wound to allow that true healing process to take place. This is when she recognized Jesus as a healer. If we notice at this point, Jesus did not tell her to go get her life straightened out or to work out her issues before he could share where she could get the living water. They continued a conversation, and Jesus revealed that he is the Messiah. Jesus used her wound and her hurt as a springboard to spread the message. She leaves her water jug and and runs to town where she probably wasn't welcome before. But she's telling others at this point, this man told me all that I ever did. She was exposing what she had tried to cover up. Her scar was then evidence that healing took place. It was her witness. The guilt was gone, and she was willing to share. It says... I love this, that many Samaritans believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. So thinking about that Samaritan woman, what if we tried to quit managing our own wounds and tried to quit hiding our own scars, but we let Jesus, only Jesus, rush in to heal them? or maybe even to lay groundwork to spread his gospel. And this is where you might expect me to say, I have a deep emotional scar that I am going to share with you as an example. Well, I don't. I don't have a scar story. I thought I did. Um, In fact, upon preparing for this message, God revealed that I do have a story, a very um, weak scab story that I realize that infection is starting to ooze out and around and it's a big festering wound that I have become so numb that I've considered it scarred. It was suggested that I share this with you but after review I can't do that. It's it's too raw. But I can I can't give you many many details, but I can say that it is sufficient enough to tell you that I am in the stages of wound healing. About 
A month ago, when I recognized the reality that this is still a wound, maybe even infected, <clears throat> I went to Jesus. I can't. Just like the Samaritan woman, Jesus asked me a question, and my response revealed true ugliness. Jesus didn't say, go get it right, Sherry, and then I can help heal you. He showed me his scars, his scars, and said, I am the Messiah. I have shed the blood. Let the blood rush in and do its job of healing. It's like the proliferation, proliferation stage. He has sent encouragers Um, as the collagen to start building the new tissue that will remind me that he has overcome my trial. Can anyone relate? Do you, anyone, recognize a deep hurt that maybe you thought was a scar that is probably a wound? If so, I would encourage you to cry out to Jesus. Confess the hurt and allow him to reveal the exact details of the hurt to make sure you're giving it all to him. Let him show you his scars. Let him tell you, I am the Messiah. See my scars? They are the mark of evidence that your sin, your ugliness, has been nailed to the cross. My blood was shed for your forgiveness of your sin, the healing of your wound, 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The physical scars that Jesus bears are the visual we need as a reminder that he has overcome. Those of you who are in the wound clinic with me, just like Heidi mentioned last week, you don't have to be, have, have worked through your own grief before you start loving others and their pain. The same applies to emotional hurts. You don't have to be scarred in order to love others and their healing process. And those of you that have been discharged from that wound clinic with nice form scars, please remember 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. <clears throat> All praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times, and before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person, just as God was there for us. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but no more so than the good times of healing comfort we get a full measure of that too. Jesus, we are so humbled. We come to you. Help us to recognize the differences between wounds and scars. Help us give our wounds over to you to lay them at the foot of your cross. Jesus, thank you for taking our wounds and making them nailing them to the cross so that we can now walk in life restored, redeemed. At this point, let us take these scars 
this healing and come alongside others with encouragement and know that we are comforted with that full measure of comfort only you can provide. We pray all of this in your name.